0: problem. There we go. Sorry about that. I hope you heard the prayer. If not, I can start all over. Uh, Just kidding. We are in Colossians. We've been in Colossians. Now this is the 15th sermon. It it seems uh, we'll be done next week. It it seems such a quick time in this letter. Uh, I think it's quick because we spent 20 months, 20 months, not weeks, 20 months in the book of Genesis. And so now coming into. Colossians and being here for four months, we will come to a close next week. Um, But here we are in chapter 4. This is the last kind of instruction to God's people at this small church. And it's no surprise that what Paul is going to do in these few verses uh, right before he ends the letter is he's going to step on some toes. And my hope this morning is that Uh, we, myself included, that this word would step on our toes. There's two things in my life, maybe the two things are true in your life, that I really struggle with in the Christian life. Those two things are what Paul is going to address here. Those two things for me is my prayer life. Anyone in the room, like, I really struggle with my prayer life. I I often feel like a dog when it comes to prayer Like I'll be in the middle of prayer, and then all of a sudden my mind will be, Uh, down at Demas' ready for their uh, chicken and rice soup. I'm like, how did I end up in Demas' for chicken and rice soup when I was intently praying to the Lord? Or or whatever it may be for you, I can often start praying, and within 30 seconds, I'm as far away from that prayer as possible. Well, Paul is going to give some instruction uh, about prayer. And so if that's you this morning, my hope is that this would be a way of encouragement, not a way of a rebuke. All of us, if we're honest, we struggle with prayer. That's the first thing that Paul addresses. The second thing I struggle with, and you think, well, you're a pastor. You ought not to struggle with that, is I struggle in my witness. It like, gets really easy for me to proclaim God's word from this pulpit. But it's really, really difficult for me to do it one-on-one with people. You, it's what Paul is going to say. And you would think, the pastor, I study, I preach God's word, I learn God's word but there's oftentimes I'm in conversation with people and I'm like, I, I don't even know what to say. I, I don't even know how to bring up Jesus to people. And so Paul is going to address that. And maybe that's you this morning. I would think for us as a church, that would be us this morning. We struggle with our prayer life and our, our, our life of witness, how we proclaim Jesus to people. And so Paul is going to help us with that, the same way that he helped us young church. So let's dive in to it. Two, two things, if you're going to take the passage and we're going to split it in two. The first thing is our private life. That's our prayer life. The second thing that is our public life. That's our witness. So we're going to look at our private life and our public life and what Paul and how Paul addresses that to us this morning. So our private life, let, let me read verses two and three and four to you. This is what Paul says, continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account to which I am in prison. So we'll see here this morning three things about prayer, how to pray, what to pray, and also what we are to pray for so the first thing let's look at how are we to pray paul gives us three things this so is what our prayer life ought to look like three things the first thing that paul says right out of the out of the gates is this about our prayer life let in you can read it this way if you want to read the passage in prayer be or continue steadfast so the first thing about our prayer life let it be steadfast or Uh, Your uh, version may be devoted. Be devoted in your prayer. What what does that word mean? What does Paul mean when he tells us, this is how we are to pray. The first thing that he says to us, we are to pray with devoted lives. That word devoted in the Greek means this. It means to fix our eyes intently upon, gaze upon intently, stretch or strain the eyes to, to be able to see. I don't know about you, but my eyesight's getting worse and worse and worse. I never thought I'd be the guy. I've always thought, I'm like, man, why do people take their glasses off to read better? I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense. That's what glasses are for. And last night, I'm watching something on my phone. I'm like, I can't see it. And I had to take my glasses off. I'm like, oh, that's what it means for us because we want to be intently involved in our prayer life. We want to gaze upon the Lord. Another way to say it is this. We want to be persistent in our prayers. Jesus gives two illustrations of that. The two illustrations are this. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, you don't have to turn there this morning. He, he says this. In Luke 18, he says, be persistent in your prayer. And then gives this parable what that persistent looks like. This is the parable of the persistent widow. You, remember the widow. The widow goes to this evil judge. And she goes to this evil judge, and she's talking to this judge about her neighbor. And she's wanting justice for herself with her neighbor. And so she goes to the judge, and the judge denies her first request. She goes back to the judge and denies her again. But in her persistence, she continues to go to the judge for justice. And finally, Jesus says, even a wicked judge, because of the the widow's persistence, declares judgment over the neighbor. The next parable is this. It's the parable in Luke chapter 11, verses 6 through 10. That's the parable of the persistent neighbor. Remember, in that parable, Jesus is talking again about prayer. And he says, be like your neighbor. That your neighbor has visitors coming into town. Remember that parable. And he says, it's that neighbor that has people coming into town that has no bread for their guests. And so the neighbor goes over to the other house and knocks on the door. And he's super persistent about getting bread for his guests. So much so that the neighbor says, no, I am sleeping. My family's sleeping with me. You, you have to leave us alone so we can go back to sleep. And remember what the neighbor does. He continues to knock at the door. Until what? The neighbor grants his request. So what Paul is saying to us In our prayer life, we must be persistent. I don't know about you, but that's the place I tend to stop first. I'll come to the Lord with a request. But when God doesn't meet my request, what? On my timetable, I just give up. I just kind of back away. I'm not persistent. And so our hope, our desire is that we would have devoted, persistent, prayer life. My hope is as we pray for this youth, Pastor, we be persistent. Whether it takes four weeks, four months, or four years, we continue to run to God over and over and over and over and over again. We know this to be true about God. I wish it wasn't, but it is. God's timing is not our timing. Because God's timing is awfully much more slower than what we desire, we give up hope. We're not holding God to his promises. So let us, like Paul says in our prayer life, be persistent. The next thing that Paul says, not only are we to be persistent, but we are to what? Be watchful. That word watchful in the Greek means to to what? To be on alert. The way Peter says it in his uh, letter is this. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he uses the same word. And he uses it in, in the word for Satan. He says, hey, be sober-minded and what? Be watchful because you have an adversary. So what Paul is saying to us, what Peter is saying to us, we must have this place of alert. I wonder how often we, as church members, as the people of God, are not watchful in our prayer life. We we are more so coming to God like an ATM machine. I go to God with my request, I punch in the right number, he gives me what I want. And yet we're not bringing what we really need from God because we're not being watchful for what we need. We're not being watchful for one another, what one another needs. I wonder in this church how watchful we are for each other. Do we truly know what each other needs prayer for? That's what it means to be watchful, to have an eye on things. The same way that you would have an eye on your child in a dangerous place. So, my first question would be this Do we believe we live in danger as believers? Because if we believe that, then we'll be watchful for what one another. And being watchful one another, we will pray for one another. We ought to be on our knees praying that we are watchful people in this lost world. This is a dangerous, dangerous world. Are we watchful? Are we on alert? And then Paul says, not only are we to be devoted in our prayer life or persistent in our prayer life, not only to be watchful or on alert in our prayer life, we, we also are what? How are we to pray? He says it in the last part of the verse. We are to be what? Thankful in our prayer life. How often is our prayer lives full of our needs, but not full of our gratitudes? How we bring our needs to the Lord, but we don't bring our thankfulness to the Lord. We have so much to be thankful for. And I know for me, if you were to take my prayer life and you were to dissect my prayer life and you were to put my needs on one side of the scale and my gratitude on the other side of the scale, I would guarantee you this. It wouldn't even be close. The scales would be tipped almost every time to a place of needs versus thankfulness. But Paul is saying to us, no, we must bring our needs to him, but we also must bring our gratefulness to him, our thanksgiving to him. Read the book of Psalms. How often, even when you see David bringing his needs, there's almost every time in the psalm, in the same song, his gratitude. Though all this is happening to me, Lord, and I want my enemies to be dashed on rocks, but you, God, are in control, and yet you, God, I can be thankful for. One writer says it this way, and I believe this to be true. And this is, there's more than five things that every believer ought to be grateful for, but if you want to have a template, how do I bring my gratitude or my thankfulness in my prayer life to God? Here's five things that this writer says. The five Ps of a thankful prayer life. First, that we ought to be thankful for God's presence. If you are a believer, God's presence is always with you. In the darkest of times, God's presence is with you. Not that it's available to you, but it's with you. You have it in the moment. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to get it. God's presence. Not only is it God's presence that we can be thankful for, but it's also God's provision that we can be thankful for. Every minute of the day, God is providing for us. Maybe not all of our wants, but exactly what we need. That is God's provision for us. The next thing is this, that we can be so thankful for God, for God's pardon for us. God's pardon is that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. And when we come to faith, it is God through Christ Jesus that pardons us. And we can even be in relationship with God. If we don't thank God for anything else, we ought to always thank God for our salvation. There's nothing that we did to earn it. There's nothing that we did that we can keep it. It is God's free gift to us. Are we grateful this morning for God's pardon in your life? Two more. The next one is this. We looked at this throughout the book of Genesis. We can be thankful for all of God's promises. If you don't know God's promises, I would just say begin to read God's word. God's word is full of God's promises. Here's what we said in the study in Genesis. And we know this to be true. Any promise that God made, it will always come true. We can be thankful for his promises. The last one is this. We can be thankful for God's purpose. We know this to be true. That all things work together for what? The glory of God. So whatever you're going through, that is God's purpose for your life no matter if it's cancer, to where the state of your marriage is, to your sons, your daughters, whatever it is, we can know this, that God, through his promise, says he has a purpose for our life, and therefore we can be grateful. That there's nothing that you're going through that God will not use for an opportunity for you, for your sanctification, and for you to see God's glory. And so for us, church, this morning, Are we thankful people in our prayer life? And now Paul says, that's how we are to pray. But now he says, what are we to pray for? He gives us a few things. He's going to move into now the more evangelistic part of his prayer, and this ought to be true for us. He said this, as you're praying these things, and your steadfastness and your watchfulness and your thankfulness at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on the account to which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Three things that we see. The first is this. It's one little word in verse three. Us. We must pray for the word. That's the reason that we're committed to praying for missionaries in this church. We're praying that God would use workers. It's what Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. We need to pray for workers because the harvest is plentiful, but what? The workers are few. And so in our prayer life, are we praying that God first, that he will use the workers he's already raised up? Every believer, if you are a believer, you are a missionary, just to let you know. Are we praying for one another? Are we praying as workers in the harvest? The next part of that prayer is, are we praying that God would raise up more workers for the harvest? That is what Paul asked for. Hey, out of all the things that Paul could have asked for, think about where Paul starts. Now, mind you, where is Paul at? He's in prison. Now, I'm just letting you know if I'm locked up in prison for a crime I didn't commit, I'm not asking for anybody else but myself to get out of prison. I'm just letting you know. I'm going to be real selfish. Lord, get me out of here. I don't deserve this. But Paul's mindset is not about himself. You know where it's about? It's about God and it's about lost people and it's about, hey, I don't care if I'm in prison. I want to pray that God would use me and use the people in this prison to win lost people. Are we praying that God would use us wherever he has us to be missionaries to lost people? Paul can go back and he will say over and over in his writings, I thank God for my imprisonment because I was in prison and he led the the imperial guard to Christ. Think about that for a moment. Paul is in prison, and God uses Paul to lead Roman soldiers to Jesus. Now, if Paul was so concerned about getting out of prison, he wouldn't have been thinking about how to get the message of Jesus to these pagans. And so for us this morning, are we praying to be workers, and are we praying for workers? And then what does he pray for? Then he says this, and we also pray, just ask God for this. Don't ask God to get me out of prison. Don't ask God to get me a meal. Don't ask God for provision for me. He simply says this, ask that God would what? Open a door for me. That's astounding to me. Here's what Paul knows. And it's nothing that Paul can do to open a door. It has to be God opening doors for him. This is the apostle Paul, probably the greatest missionary to ever live, for sure the greatest church planner to ever live. And Paul knew as great as Paul's gifts were, as great as Paul's abilities were, as great as Paul was, he knew that he was limited and he needed God to do for him what he could not do, for himself or other people, and that was what? To open doors. I think we often are weak in our evangelism because it's all the pressures put onto us. And because we feel all the pressure to have to say, the right, we'll get to this in a moment, to say the right thing, to find the right opportunity, to like you name it. All that Paul says is, he's going to get to it in a minute. But the first thing Paul says is, and I would ask myself this, ask you this, ask the churches: how often are we praying simply for an opportunity? We're so consumed with our anxiety before we even get to the opportunity. And because the anxiety of the opportunity, we don't even ask God for the opportunity. Matter of fact, if I'm real honest, when I get on planes, you know the first thing I pray? God, let that person put on headphones and leave me alone. I'm just being honest because I can't go anywhere if they start asking me questions. I'm strapped in a seat for at least two hours. Rather, my prayer life ought to be when I get on a plane or I get on a bus or I get in a line. God, give me an opportunity to bring Christ to these people. I wonder, church, do we pray for the opportunity? And that's what Paul says, let us pray for the opportunity. And then he says this, once you give us the opportunity, I think we have our prayer out of order. Because the next thing is what Paul says. He says, now once I have this opportunity, now pray that I may make it clear to which I ought to speak, which is what, what does he want to say to these people? He says all he wants is an open opportunity. And then that God would give him the words to speak. But what are the words that he wants to speak? He wants to declare what he says, the mystery of Christ. And so how often, church, are we asking God first for the opportunity? I know in my life, I tend to go to God. God, give me the words, give me the words, give me the words. But I'm negating the first place of the opportunity. And then once we have the opportunity, then we come to God. Okay, God, now give me clarity on how to present the gospel to people. How do I present your good news to a lost person? Here's what I know to be true. If I'm walking in step with the Spirit, the Spirit will give me every word I need to present the gospel to people. And here's what else I know, because it's God's door of opportunity. It's not on me if they come to know Christ or not. I have said some of the most crazy things to people, and they've come to know Christ. Like, you would think, hey, if you're going to evangelism 101, that would be a straight-up F. Don't do it that way. But it's what God told me in the moment to say. And I was obedient to that. And therefore, God used it because it was God's words, not my use, to bring someone to Christ. I think the pressure we put on ourselves, that we got to say the right thing, do the right thing, not be defensive, love, kind, all those things, we get hamstrung and we say nothing, and therefore we don't even give someone an opportunity. And all that Paul is saying through Christ Jesus to us is this. Hey, if you open your mouth and you've been praying, God will give you the words. Here's what we know to be true. If God used a donkey to talk to someone, He can use you, and he can for sure use me. But will we be obedient to the opportunities that God gives to us as we pray for them, as we pray that God would give us his words, not our words, because then it all falls on him and not us. The pressure of evangelism isn't on us anymore. Because it doesn't matter what I say or what I don't say. It's only God that can draw people to Him. It's the power of God, not the power of Todd, that brings people to Christ Jesus. It's my obedience that God will use. But it's his power that draws lost people to himself. And now Paul says it this way. Hey, this is what you are doing in private as you're asking these things of God. You're asking God to give you opportunities. You're asking God for wisdom. And now Paul says this, hey, now you can't sit in your house and just pray all day. He says what in verse five and six? He says, after you've been praying, now walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now Paul says, hey, now get out of your prayer closet and go be in the world. What Christians have done is try to get out of the world. God never told us to get out of the world. He told us to be in the world, but not of the world. The only way lost people are going to come to know Jesus is through you and I. But we can't sit in our Christian bubble and just hope they just flock to us. That is not happening anymore. We are called to go to them. It's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28. Go into the world. And so now Paul says, hey, now when you go, this is how you are to walk. What does he say? He says, there's a a few things. You are to walk, what? Wisely. You see, Paul understood that we live in a public world. And because we live in a public world, our lives are going to be public. And so how we walk to the world before we ever say anything will be a testimony to the world. Are we walking wisely in this world? Another way to put it would be this. Are we walking above reproach? Can people point things out in your life that are public knowledge to everyone and say to you, say to me, say to one another, I'm not sure if that person's walking with the Lord. I would start looking at what you post on Facebook. I I'm, thank God I don't have Facebook, but Jenny does. It is often terrifying for me to see what church members in our church post on Facebook. And it's terrifying to see what other believers are posting on Facebook. You're not anonymous on Facebook, just to let you know. Like, I know it feels that way, but your little picture and your name comes across, however you want to disguise it, it's pretty public knowledge who you are and what you're doing. And Paul is saying to us, are we walking wisely? We have a world that has all eyes on us. They want us to fail. They want us to look ridiculous. They want us not to walk wisely so they can point the finger at the believer and say, why would I ever do that? Let us be different in this world. If you lack wisdom, James says it this way. If you lack, hey, how do I walk wisely? James says in James chapter one, verse five, if you lack wisdom, if you don't know how to walk wisely, simply ask God for it. And James says this, when you ask God for it, he will give it to you graciously or with abundance. If you don't know how to walk wisely, ask God for it, and he will pour it out onto you. Here's another way to obtain wisdom. Two ways, I believe. First, you want wisdom? Know God's word. God's word is full of God's wisdom. The second one is this. Be with God's people. We need each other to know how to be wise. I say it this way. We need Side mirrors and rear view mirrors. I have blind spots in my life. And I need God's people to point out places in my life where it doesn't look like I'm walking wisely. I don't know all those spots in my life. You see things about me I do not see. So I need you to help me walk wisely as much as I, you need me to help you walk wisely. So God's word and God's people. So now he's saying once you're walking in this world, then look what he says. He's saying to us, walk wisely in this world. Make the best use of the time as you're walking in public sight. And then he says in verse 6, now that you're walking in this world, now that you have prayed, now that you're walking wisely, he says this, now open your mouths. I wonder how often we open our mouths before we walk wisely. And so Paul says, now let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Three things we see how we are to talk in this world. The first one is this, we are to talk with grace. We are to be gracious. The word gracious in the Greek means this, to be marked with kindness and courtesy. Are the words that come out of your mouth, are the words that come out of my mouth, To everyone, first, gracious, kind, and courteous. Are we gracious in our speech? The next one is this. We are also to be what? Seasoned with salt. We are to be salty. Salt in that day were used for two ways that I believe it's true in our speech today. The first thing that speech did was this, or that salt did was this. Salt was used by the the people to prevent decaying. You would cover something in salt to preserve it. So what Paul was saying to us, let us be agents to preserve what's good in the world. And then he says this, not only is it a decaying prevention, but salt also what? It adds flavor. Are our lives and as our speech adding flavor? Is it interesting to people? Is it drawing people in? Like nobody likes bland food. Nobody. Nobody talks about, hey, like you've you've gone to that new restaurant. You can't taste anything. It's amazing. No, you go and you talk about what's amazing about it, how it's all these flavors. And what Paul is saying to us is let us be that in this world. May we add flavor to this world so much so that people are attracted to us. They want what we have. They desire it. They long for it. Are we salty? It's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are what? To be the salt and light of the world. To command from God we are to be salty. And the last one is this. We are to be gracious. We are to be salty. But he says at the very end, we ought always be able to give an answer to someone. The next one is this. We ought to be ready to talk. It's what Peter will say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, let us be ready to give an answer. This is what he says in 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect are we ready are we prepared to give an answer have we prepared ourselves you see that's the last thing in this piece if you look at it from start to finish we are to be steadfast and asking god in our prayer life to be witnesses we're to be watchful where is it that god would call us to how would god use us in our neighborhood We are to be thankful for all that he's given to us. We are to ask and pray for workers and let us be workers. We are to ask God to open doors for us, to present the gospel. We are to walk wisely with people. We are to be gracious with people and kind with people. We are to be salty with people. And last, after all that comes, that will prepare people, what? Start asking us about our Savior then we are to be ready. Have we prepared ourselves for what God's called us to? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. We can turn there as we close this morning. This is the Great Commission. And this will also be our benediction this morning. Chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, That's his disciple. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Because all this has been given to me, and I have all authority, the last thing that Jesus is going to command his people, out of all the things he could have told them. Read your Bible, pray. Think about all the things Jesus just said. I have all the authority to tell you exactly what to do. But what does Jesus tell us last, right before he goes back to heaven? Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Catch this piece. Verse 20. This is how you know you're ready. Teaching them... To observe all that I have commanded you. We are to teach. The only way to teach is to be prepared. Have you ever sat under a teacher that wasn't prepared? It is the longest hour and a half in grad school i ever sat there. I thought, man, get me out of here. I'm wasting my ever-loving money sitting with this lady that did not prepare. And so God is saying, through Christ Jesus, let us prepare to teach people about the gospel baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this is the key. Here's the key to the passage. Here's the key to this morning's passage. Behold, I will always be with you. God is with us in our prayer life. God is with us as we evangelize. God is with us as we talk to people. It's God that will empower God's people to do the work of evangelism. It starts with our prayer life, and then it starts with our obedience to him and to him alone. And so this morning as we close, I'd ask you this. I'd ask us this. First you, and then us as a church. How would we grade ourselves in our prayer life? Individually, and then as a church. We are called as a church to pray together. What Acts chapter 2 says, they came and they voted themselves to prayer. How are we doing in our prayer life? And the next question is this. How are we walking and talking with outsiders, those who are far from Jesus? Let me pray for us, and then I'll turn to 1 Corinthians as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. You see how we are praying and how we are witnessing. All hinges on us being reminded of what Christ did for us. All of it hinges on being reminded of Christ's great sacrifice for us. If he can sacrifice his body, his blood, his life for us, we can sacrifice time and prayer. We can sacrifice time with people. Are we living Sacrificial lives the way Christ did. us. God, I pray now as we come to your table. To partake in this meal, the Lord's Supper. That you would use it in a powerful way as a reminder. Of your great sacrifice. And therefore, call us into a sacrificial life. Lead us. Guide us. Does everyone have uh, the uh, Lord's Supper? If not, if you'll raise your hand, I'll ask Jonathan to to grab you one. We'll wait for uh, them to be passed out before we move forward. If you'll keep your hand up, Jonathan will bring the box to you. Any other people need a a Lord's Supper? Let me read this passage over us. This is from 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11. Moving forward. Paul says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus On the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, for which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup. After supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul says this. So Before we take the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to read this portion of Scripture to us. Whoever, therefore, eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So as we take this, let us do what Paul now says in verse 28. Let a person examine himself or herself. Then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For for anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body and drinks judgment upon himself, this is why many of you are ill and weak and some... And so before we take the Lord's Supper, may we examine ourselves. Is there anything in your life? Is there anything in my life? Is there any place of unrepentant sin that you must confess? If there's those places, confess that to the Lord this morning. Because you do not want to take this bread, this juice, in an unworthy Paul says it's so clear. If you do that, you are asking for judgment on yourself. And then I would say this, what Jesus says. If there's any of us in here that have a grievance against one another in this building, before you take this cup and drink this, go and make it right. May we live honest, Truthful in whole lives before God and with He. Let us take a moment to examine ourselves. Then I'll pray. We'll take the Lord's Supper together. <laughs> God, as we sit here and we examine ourselves, we ask that you, through the Holy Spirit, would illuminate places in our life that have been unconfessed. Now we confess those to you. We're grateful for your provision of forgiveness. May we receive that now. And now, God, may we, because we've examined ourselves and we've confessed our sin, be able to take this bread, this juice, and a worthy. Amen. We're grateful for your Son. We take this juice and this bread. We're reminded of His great sacrifice for us, that His body was broken for us. His blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the body of Christ broken for you. May we take the bread this morning. This is Christ's blood poured out for you. May we do this in remembrance. Let us rise for the benediction this morning. God, we are grateful for you. We're grateful for the Apostle Paul when he had to share with us this morning. May we examine our private life, our prayer life. May we examine our public life, the way we walk and talk amongst outsiders. We're grateful for you, Jesus, that lived the perfect example, prayer life, and public life. May we learn from you, Lord. May you teach us how to live robust prayer lives. Continue to give us opportunity to share the gospel. Every time we have that opportunity, we pray that you would give us words to speak. And let us be gracious. Let our words be full of salt. May we be ready to give a defense, the great gospel what Christ Jesus did for us. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ. God's people said, "Amen." we read this benediction over to us this morning. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples in all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Grace and peace be with you this morning.